Thank you for everybody who is uh, listening at home uh, for the streaming this Sunday morning. And for any that maybe are looking at it, maybe uh, hence from now, maybe weeks or months or years, uh, just apologies for the haircuts. Uh, the barbers have not been open for some time, and I'm conscious that people looking back in the future will wonder, well, look at that hair, what is, what is going on? But we have a great passage this morning, and let us just join together in prayer as we come, come before it. Heavenly Father, we pray for your anointing on your word this morning, that it may be a living word to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. See, we often jump into chapter 10 as the chapter about the good shepherd, but that only gets a mention at verse 11. Chapter 10 actually starts with Jesus giving a lesson on local agriculture. It's sometimes useful to turn off what we think we know and just to read the passage again freshly. And I think, I don't know about you, but I think you might get a little bit confused because the first mention really is about thieves and robbers. It isn't even about shepherds. Let me give you this morning a flavor of how startling it sounded 2,000 years ago, and even more so this morning. I'd like to bring you four A's this morning, an agriculture lesson, an argument, the Greek terms agathos and kalos, which I will explain in a moment, and an application for us this morning. So let's start with the agriculture lesson, which left the Pharisees confused. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. You see, Judea was a central plateau stretching from Bethel to Hebron, a distance of about 35 miles long and about 14 to 17 miles wide. I like to think of this a plateau about the, double the size of the Ards Peninsula. Uh, but this is back in the times when transport wasn't as quick. And this was an area which was mostly rough and stony. Judea was mainly a pastoral area. So obviously, to all the hearers of Jesus, the idea of a shepherd would have been familiar. The shepherd's life was very hard. No flock ever grazed without a shepherd, and he was never off duty. There was little grass, so the sheep were bound to wander, and there were no protecting walls so the sheep had constantly to be watched. On either side of the narrow plateau, it went down to the desert beyond, and often sheep would wander away and be in danger. Sheep needed the constant care of the shepherd. Here in Northern Ireland, um, sheep are largely kept for killing for their meat, but in Palestine, they're kept for their wool. So you can imagine that the shepherd living with these sheep for many years got to know them, and each sheep had its own individual call, and the shepherd called them out by name. The only thing, the only analogy I could think of nowadays is, is those that have dogs. And maybe you know, we live with a dog or several dogs, and each dog knows its name, it knows its call. And that was something like the relationship that the shepherd had with his sheep. But the task wasn't just looking after, it was also dangerous because there were wild animals, especially against wolves. 
There are always thieves and robbers ready to steal the sheep. Christ's hearers would have been aware of shepherds killed defending their flocks from wild animals. Sir George Adam Smith, who traveled in Palestine, once summed this up in the words, on some high moor across which at night the hyenas howl, there you meet the shepherd, sleepless, far-sighted, weather-beaten, leaning on his staff and looking out over his scattered sheep, every one of them on his heart. Can you imagine that sleepless, far-sighted, weather-beaten man looking after his sheep? And that's what Jesus is liking himself to. You see, hillside sheepfolds were just open spaces enclosed by a wall with a single opening by which the sheep came and went out. There was no door. So the only protection was the shepherd sleeping in the doorway. And he stopped the sheep going out and he stopped the wild animals coming in. So why the agricultural lesson? But you see, Jesus was actually in the middle of an argument with people who were supposed to be the shepherds of Israel and they've just thrown out one of Jesus' followers out of the sheep pen or the temple as it was known then. So the second thing I want to look at this morning is this argument. You see, to understand chapter 10, we need to start in chapter 9 because the phrase, very truly I tell you, beginning the chapter, follows on from a previous teaching. Jesus doesn't mince his words. He actually calls out the Pharisees for being deaf to his message. But let's just go back and recap. The Pharisees hurled insults at the man born blind and said, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man replied, Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Here we have the supposed shepherds of Israel throwing out a man for professing faith in Christ. See, throughout these chapters, the Pharisees ask Jesus if he is the Messiah or a blaspheming troublemaker. And Jesus answers by quoting scripture to them. But they won't listen. They're too filled up with their own pride. It's no coincidence, as Abby read in verse 22, that this happened around the time of the Feast of Dedication. And we're not that familiar with uh, Jewish history, so let me elaborate. See, nearly 200 years before, Antiochus Epiphanes had invaded and profaned the temple by sacrificing a pig to Jupiter, the pagan god, on the altar. So there's an armed uprising, and in 165 BC, Judas Maccabeus triumphed. And since then, this feast of dedication commemorated the rededication of the temple. But think of it, it was a festival of armed struggle and victory, of heightened dreams of nationalism, where a Messiah talking of sacrifice and sheep was not what the people wanted to hear. And in the Old Testament, God is often pictured as the shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Psalm 79, we thy people, the flock of thy pasture, will give thanks to thee forever. Give here, O shepherd of Israel, thou who leadest Joseph like a flock. Psalm 95, he is our God. We are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. But moreover, God called the kings and leaders to act as his shepherds on his behalf. Yet Ezekiel 34 recounts how the kings and leaders in Israel failed miserably at this task. 
and God declares that he'll send his own shepherd. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only care for yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? But you do not care of the flock. You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. So I will remove them from tending the flock. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. See, to to its original hearers, this was a bit confusing because God said he was going to be the shepherd, and then a descendant of David was going to be the shepherd. Does that sound familiar? There's only one person who was both God and the descendant of David, and that was Jesus. So Jesus is here fulfilling the prophecy of Ezekiel 34. The man born blind, so ready to heed the voice of Jesus, clearly belongs to the sheep that respond to his voice, while the Pharisees are the false shepherds being removed. Verse 6, Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus says again, Truly I say to you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. You see, Jesus talks about these thieves and robbers. There were many false messiahs at the time of Jesus, many people who wanted to bring armed struggle for liberation. But Jesus has nothing to do with that. Jesus is talking about being a suffering shepherd, a suffering servant. And we too need to be careful of of movements and things that sometimes have a violent uh, element to them. Gandhi, Martin Luther King, and even the Northern Ireland Civil Rights Movement advocated peaceful protest. But often in these movements, there are fringes that want to bring violence. And Jesus, again, distances himself from this for he brings peace, love, and sacrifice. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. Jesus here uses a well-known Hebrew phrase, we can go in and come out. This talks to the Jewish hearer of peace and security, of law and order. And this is what Jesus is promising. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. See, the third thing we want to look at this morning is are these Greek terms, agathos and kalos. In Greek, there are two words for good. Agathos, which simply means the moral quality of a thing. And kalos, which means that in the goodness, there's a quality which also makes it lovely or attractive. Now, I'm not talking about looks. I'm talking about an attraction, an attractiveness that Jesus brings to this, that draws men to him. Here the word kalos is used. In him there is more than efficiency and more than fidelity. There is loveliness. Sometimes in a village or a town you hear the term, oh, the good doctor. When people talk about the good doctor, they don't just mean that he's a good physician. They mean that he's caring and compassionate and that whenever they're in trouble, they go to him. That is the same idea here we have in terms of Jesus being the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Praise God. Jesus doesn't doesn't leave us in trials and sufferings. When his sheep are suffering or in danger, 
Jesus turns up. He is the one putting himself in harm's way, praying for Peter when the devil wants to sift him like wheat. Even in the book of Job, God doesn't let Satan kill Job. And moreover, God appears in the midst of Job's sufferings, so much so that Job says, my ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. And elsewhere he says, I know that my Redeemer lives. See, the message even in Job is that when God's sheep suffer, God turns up. And who do you think the fourth person was that appeared in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? That's confusing, isn't it? Let me tell you that whenever we face suffering, Jesus is with us. Tell me, when your friends are suffering, do you show up? If Jesus doesn't just always work a big miracle, but he's always there working little ones, and he's always attractive, drawing us to him. Jesus is the good shepherd. He laid down his life, and he willingly suffers for his sheep. When you're suffering, Jesus isn't absent. As the songwriter Charlie Lansborough put it, he's my forever friend, my leave-me-never friend. From darkest night to rainbow's end, he's my forever friend. And Jesus contrasts. He talks about the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away, and the wolf scatters the flock. See, the hired hand loves the wages more than the work. He has no interest in the sheep. I remember when I was growing up, and I, like Mark, I grew up on a farm. And I remember being at my uncle's farm and my grandmother complaining because we had people, workmen working on the farm, and for an hour or two, one of the workmen had been asked to look after the children. And she said, this, this doesn't happen. This isn't right. You don't put somebody who's, who's a farm worker to look after something as precious as children. Now, of course, it was fine, and, and the children were safe. But the point stands when you're something precious, you don't just give it to someone who's looking at the wage packet at the end of the day. You, you give it to someone that is entrusted, that has an interest in it, that, own, that has ownership. And that is our Savior this morning. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. Here's our assurance. We can trust Jesus because Jesus knows God. In fact, the Father and the Son understand and love each other perfectly. And I lay down my life for the sheep. Again, Jesus repeats it. Jesus is already facing death threats. Here he foretells that he will die, but not in a miscarriage of justice, but he will willingly lay down his life. He will willingly pay the ultimate sacrifice. Here the Old Testament image of God as shepherd over Israel is taken a terrible stage further. God as the anointed shepherd and Messiah will die on behalf of the sheep to save them. It's no wonder his hearers were shocked. Jesus goes on to say, I have other sheep, they're not of the sheep pen, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. You see, here Jesus is saying, this isn't just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles as well. Also, we need to be careful because the commonality is hearing Jesus' voice and responding. So it's not a tribe or a denomination or a nation. So we have brothers and sisters throughout the world. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, not only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. You see, in the Old Testament, a sheep was sacrificed to atone for the sins of the shepherd. 
But in this strange contrast, Jesus as shepherd lays down his life as a sacrifice for the sins of us, his sheep. Finally this morning, how does this affect us? I want to look at application, the fourth A this morning. Consider Jesus this morning. He's the fulfillment of God as shepherd and the Messiah descended of David. Let that sink in a minute. He is the fulfillment of both of these things. Stop a moment to think of Jesus, our good Kalos shepherd, altogether good and altogether attracting us to him. Tell me, are you attractive? And I'm not talking about looks. Do you attract people to the kindness and love we're found in Jesus? My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. What words of assurance this morning. I and the Father are one. Jesus referring to his personal relationship and obedience and love to the Father. The bond of unity is love. The proof of love is obedience. Be careful not to become like the hired hand for those who mind their salary and their safety more than their duty. Be careful not to work for praise, but for the good of the sheep. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him. They do not recognize a stranger's voice. Consider as a sheep how he too must learn to recognize the voice of the shepherd and flee the unfamiliar voices. They just seek to destroy us. They seek to rob us of the spiritual nourishment. They seek to sow disunity. We need a discerning ear. As Matthew Henry puts it, it is dangerous following those in whom we discern not the voice of Christ and who would draw us from faith in him to fancies concerning him. Isn't that telling? Fancies concerning him. We are not here to make up fanciful theories about Jesus. We are here to put our, our whole faith in him and follow him as our shepherd. You see, the closer you are to the shepherd, the more you will be able to discern what is not the shepherd's voice. As the door, he is the one way of entering salvation. As the good shepherd, he is the one who cares for the sheep and provides for their salvation, even at the cost of his own life. In Christ, we may come in and go out. In other words, we can make ourselves at home in his eternal sheepfold, safe in the shared love of the Father and Jesus' his Son. In summing up, the Pharisees have condemned Jesus as a false shepherd and thrown his followers out of the temple. But in John's clever use of irony, he proves that isn't the case. Jesus is, in fact, the true good shepherd of Israel. And the fact that they do not follow him proves not only that they are not the true shepherds of Israel that God is moving out of the way, they aren't even the true sheep. Jesus repeatedly calls them, but they fail to listen. And as before in John's gospel, they think they're putting Jesus on trial, but he's putting them on trial. He's questioning them. He's pleading with them to listen, and they won't listen. So what started out as a curious agriculture lesson stemming from an argument, burst into an expression of agathos and kalos as it revealed that Jesus is the prophesied true good shepherd of Israel. In applying this to our lives, we can have confidence of experiencing the Father's love and protection. 
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are the prophesied good shepherd of Ezekiel 34. We thank you, Lord, that you bring safety and security. We thank you that you go before us. You've ultimately paid the ultimate sacrifice, and you do suffer in our stead, even in our sufferings. You're with us. So, Lord, may that be an assurance to us. May that be an encouragement to us to likewise shepherd the flock, to be sheep listening to your voice, and to be enjoying your sweet pastures. In Jesus' name, amen.